Well, I'm positive that this campus is going to hell. I'm positive that this society is in trouble with God. If I'm doing my job and I'm doing it right, I am making life safer one school at a time. You deny that. Now, the problem is Jesse Morrell is a is a compilation of heresies. He's not. He doesn't have just one heresy. You know, when you think about it, most people don't just have one heresy. This is going to hell. I'm positive that this society is in trouble with God. I am positive that unless you repent, you'll perish. I have a positive message. Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be doing a video review of this James White video exposing Jesse Morrell. Oh, scary stuff, this Jesse Morrell. And, and James White, his uh, panties are in a twist about uh, Jesse Morrell. And you just, just listen, just watch him. I got to apologize because playing James White is always tedious. He speaks like this very slowly as if he started his sentence before he knew where he was going with that sentence we might have to play it like a double speed or something but then we'll get to the jesse morrell clips and it's going to be normal speed because uh jesse morrell has a normal functioning brain so he talks like a normal person not this james white guy ah these calvinists uh what you're going to see a lot of in this clip is James White acting like a social justice warrior. He is in his little cult. He thinks in idiosyncratic ways, idiosyncratic uh, terminology, very forced definitions on various words that are unproven from the textual context. Uh, they they just they reject any normal rational re alternative readings of any of their texts. They ignore context. They they hate context. So we'll get to that. Isaiah forty. They always like to quote Isaiah forty, but they really don't like a lot of the verses that are actually in Isaiah forty. They they just ignore those verses and they they go to their favorite verse and they say, "See my theology," but then they they skip over the verses they don't like in Isaiah forty. I love it. Uh, I love it. It just. It's just crazy. You're dealing with crazy people when you're dealing with Calvinists. They they are not normal, functional, rational people. They're cultists. Uh, they're SJWs. Uh, they they think in very controlled terms, and they they are absolutely incapable of putting themselves in the shoes of their opponents and understanding their opponent's position. So it leads to a lot of straw man arguments, a lot of non sequiturs. You'll you'll see this on Calvinist Facebook pages where you'll post a statement. And then the Calvinists will say, so you're saying XYZ and XYZ is just like some totally unrelated claim that has nothing to do with your original comment because the Calvinist in their brain, they're like putting all these things together. Well, this means this and my assumption here means this. And then, so that means you must say this. No, no, you're a lunatic. That That's the, our third option. You guys are lunatics and you don't think or act or speak or think at all like rational people. But go ahead, James White, and introduce this video for us and tell us all, all about the evils of Jesse Morrell. You know, Jesse Morrell going around to campus to campus preaching for students to repent and stop sinning. Oh, the horrors. Oh, Jesse Morrell, why do you do such evil, terrible things? You hit it, James White. Well, thanks, Robert. Appreciate that. Um, right, let's see I if was I can literally speed this up here. Heading out the door. Speed. When I got a Facebook message, one point five. Let's see what that does. Robert Reese, who had just yeah. uploaded the video mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. of a an encounter that Amelia Ramos we'll put had down a with one, Jesse Morrell, one point two five UNT. Uh, uh huh. And uh, yeah. It was, um, as I was listening to it over lunch, don't worry you. There were just so many oh lunch. teachable moments. I guess. <laughs> Would be the term we could use. So here's, here's the funny thing. So Calvinists are always like, oh, all these other teachings other than Calvinism are so man-centered. Uh, but look at the absolute arrogance. Every single Calvinist is a data point. Their, quote-unquote, gospel, their religion uh, puffs them up with such pride and such... Uh, these, these people are the least humble, most arrogant uh, people I've ever met in my life. This is all about themselves. It's all about them being man-centered. It's all about them being the elect, them with their superior enlightened knowledge, their, their Gnostic enlightening that they love to talk about over and over. You, you get into a debate with a Calvinist, it'll eventually devolve into 
not you, not normal readers, not scholars, only Calvinists can read the Bible because we have the special enlightening. Literally happens to me all the time. This is where those conversations devolve to. It's a man-centered. They care about themselves. That's, that's what these cults do. The cults are very person-focused, and you see that. You see that in James White and his attitude. So many things where Jesse says stuff is, he says stuff that's just, it really, really illustrates why we were saying some of the things we were saying just on the last program about the decree of God versus the revealed will of God. God has a super secret plan that he doesn't tell anyone, and then he just tells people to do other stuff other than what he super secretly wants. This is this is literally, literally how they think. They they think the Bible teaches this, and they think that this is like legitimate theology taught in the Bible. These people are crazy. Um, and what what happens when you deny that? Now the problem is Jesse Morrell is a is a compilation of heresies. He's not. He doesn't have just one heresy. And you know, when you think about it, most people don't just have one heresy. Uh, <laughs> so, like the SJWs, uh, social justice warriors, they'll, they'll always you say anything. You, you let's say I say that uh, Jews, on average, have higher IQs than the rest of America. Asians have higher IQs. Asians generally. Uh, they, they have higher income on average than white people. They have better driving records, less crime all around, you know, and the, uh, the, the SJW will be like, you're a racist. You're quoting statistics. You're a racist. And they think that calling someone a racist is an argument. And so, like, uh, let, let's say uh, Mr. James White here is is that SJW. He'll say, oh, you said this thing over here. That's racist. This thing over here. That's racist. Everything's racist to these people. Uh, they're psychotic. They're not rational individuals. And that's what you have to understand when you're dealing with and interacting with these Calvinists. They're not rational people. You cannot treat them like a rational, thoughtful, thinking, rational individual. And I, I see it all the time. People try to interact with the Calvinists as if the Calvinists are intellectually honest. It's a, that's a terrible idea. Uh, if you, you could gauge them. You could gauge them easily by the first couple reactions back and forth. If they're tr really trying to understand your argument and deal with your arguments on an intellectual level, or if they just care about emoting, if they just care about their little talking points, if they, they don't want to have any constructive dialogue, you could tell fairly quickly these people. Most people are not solid and everything else, and then you just got this one uh, thing. Uh, heresy spreads. It, it, because Christian truth is a whole, once you become imbalanced in one spot, that frequently ends up causing problems elsewhere. And so what you see in morale is a, is a consistently man-centered perspective that takes him outside. Again, look at his. So uh, James White is arrogantly stating that Jesse Morrell is man-centered. I don't think Jesse Morrell is. Jesse Morrell, literally what he does is he drives campus to campus. He endears the most vile, vicious things from college students. He's assaulted daily. Uh, and maybe not daily, but weekly. Uh, there's a lot of videos of people hitting him, punching him, destroying his stuff. He, he suffers all this out of love. He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it to spread the gospel. This is this is like the one guy that you could pick that is like truly, truly like I spend a lot of time like playing video games and, and watching movies and stuff like that. So it's not like I dedicate my life to the extent that Jesse Morrell does to God. This is the like the least man-centered dude out there. And, and James White's like, this guy, this guy, he's all about himself. It's all man-centered. You're the man-centered person. Mr. Alpha and Mega Ministries, you're the man-centered one. It's projection. These lunatic leftists, SJWs, back to the SJW podcast, they project. They accuse other people of what they themselves do. Outside the realms of the realm of orthodoxy, way outside the realm of orthodoxy, as he of course says about us too. Um, but you end up, you know, how many times have I said it? Who is a consistent Arminian? An open theist. So he's an open theist. He's a Pelagian. Uh, he denies original sin. <laughs> Oh, oh, he denies original sin and he's a Pelagian? Oh, no. Oh, me, oh, my. That's, that's so terrible. And he's a sinless perfectionist. Oh, oh, he teaches people that they don't have to sin? Oh, that is the worst heresy in the world. Someone preaching against sin, telling people not to sin, people telling 
other people that they could choose not to oh it it hurts my heart James White oh it's so heretical you gotta teach people that they're utterly depraved and they're sinning all the time and you know there's nothing they could do to change their sinfulness oh man which Je Jesse Burrell is literally emulating Jesus's ministry John the Baptist is going around too saying you know what the end times are close repent uh, do good works. Do works worthy of uh, repentance. Uh, Jesus says, be perfect like the Father. Uh, so Jesse Morrell is literally preaching the same things that Jesus was. And then uh, James White's criticizing him. This is the delicious thing about Calvinism. It is so alien and foreign to the Bible that they'll sit up there and they will have polemical speeches against Jesus's ministry. Oh, it's gross. It's gross. Every one of those, when you think about it, is so much derived from man-centered <laughs> thoughts. Never centered on his... <laughs> Last time I, I checked, uh, first of all, we're made in the image of God. And second of all, Jesus's ministry, his gospel to people was pretty man-centric. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's pretty man-centric. He's telling people what to do so that they could enter the kingdom of God. And besides all that, besides all that, your criticisms of Jesse Burrell are criticisms of Jesus. You're criticizing Jesus. You are criticizing Jesus, you lunatic. You lunatic. Thought never starts with God and then informs what we believe about man. It always begins with man and then edits God to fit with the conclusions he's come to with man. So they'll take Calvinism. Calvinism is, uh, is a psychosis. Uh, they, they start with their lofty ideas of who God is. So they get in a big circle. They get in a group and they, they say, hey, hey, you over there, what do you think makes the best God? And the other guy will be over there. He'll say, well, you know what? Uh, changing God would probably be pretty bad because then we can't be assured of anything. And we'll have no solid reason to believe anything about the future. And the other guy's like, hey, that's pretty good. Also, I think that God must be timeless. And the first guy's like, hey, that sounds pretty good, too. As a timeless being, he's probably perfectly simple because a timeless being probably can't change or have parts or anything like that. And the first guy would be like, yeah, that, that sounds pretty nice, too. And so these Calvinists, they've fabricated a God in their own head by sitting around introspection. This is how Augustine, how he found God. He he used introspection to reach his mind's eye. He, he, he induced himself into a meditative trance in order to get attributes of how he thought God acted, behaved, or what kind of attributes God had. This this is literally how these people do it. Look at his a little shocked expression on his face. These people are Platonists. These people are Gnostics. They believe in the, the Gnostic procedural generation of God, not biblical theism, not Yahwehism. This is not Yahweh of the Bible who lives. He's the dynamic God. He's the living God. He, he, he criticizes the idols. The idols have hands but can't do anything. They can't touch. They have eyes but cannot see. They have noses but cannot smell. Remember in Genesis and where God, he savors the smell after they get off of the ark and they sacrifice to God and a pleasing aroma reaches God. God can smell. God can smell in the Bible. It's, it's an attribute that's given to God, but not in Platonism, not in Calvinism. All those descriptions in the Bible of God seeing, smelling, doing, touching, all those actions, they're, they're not real. They're, they're not actual God doing things. Remember, God is immutable. God can't change. God can't have interaction. God can't have emotions. Nothing like that. So their man-centered idea of God that they created in their own head, they project onto the Bible. The Bible's secondary. So call me a biblical open theist. The Bible is our data set. The Bible is what we need to care about. We need to care about what that meant to its original audience. Not, not uh, oh, let's just ignore... Uh, <laughs> Ignore Israelite formative texts, which explain to Israel who Yahweh is. We'll just ignore that in light of our own philosophy and just we'll, we'll just dismiss it as Calvin says, as nurse made babbling or, or anthropomorphic language. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, Israel was meant to believe this. Israel was meant to learn from this who Yahweh is as opposed to the false God. This is a consistent fight within the Bible, Yahweh versus the false gods. And for them to say that all the language describing God's thoughts, deeds, and actions in the Bible aren't actual real depictions of God, it's incredibly abusive to the text. They are elevating their own philosophy that they came up with in their own mind over the biblical text.
That's gross. It's gross. It's, it's, it's psychosis. And so Jesse Morrell is a great example. Yeah, he is a great example. Avoid and why of you what avoid. to do. He's a great example of a good human being, a good, decent, great human being. And he reaches so many people. He's got so many followers. He, he, he reaches out to people who wouldn't otherwise hear anything about the Bible or God. And he presents them with new arguments that they've never heard. And these people who reject God because of Calvinism. And you can hear it in Jesse Morrell's back and forth with people at his college campuses. Because he records these and he puts them on the internet for everyone to watch. And you, you could see them. Their, their wheels spinning when they're presented with a biblical picture of God. You know, it, it is beautiful. Everyone, everyone should aspire to be like Jesse Burrell. Jesse Burrell is a better guy than I am. Better guy than I am. And so we'll say that. Because what you're, you know, we, we rejoice in the inconsistencies of our brothers uh, in the faith who, because of attachment to tradition, uh, personal experience, um, end up not, having a consistent this is a long time so we gotta skip to the video here because james white he just goes on and on and or this is just gonna be a back and forth between me and james white there's there's gonna be no jesse morrell if we just keep listening to james white prattle on about nothing so we're gonna skip forward to right before they do the video so we could get some jesse morrell into this uh response it's, well you'll see you ready to go all right here we go here's emilio and jesse morrell this preacher that comes out, what should I ask him? Is it ask him if homosexuality is God's plan? So I may have to interpret some of this. Ask, ask them. So he's talking about asking Emilio if homosexuality is God's plan. So immediately from the start, what you're going to see illustrated over and over and over and over and over again is the absolute confusion and overthrow <laughs> of biblical categories of faith. Uh, these people are psychotic. These people are literally psychotic. So I, I had a debate with this Calvinist administrator on some Calvinist page, and he's like, in open theism, God makes mistakes. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to uh, use uh, the non-central fallacy, where you're trying to use uh, obscure or or not, not the central meaning of a word when you hear it. Uh, like, get a word on technicality and get an omission of a statement using that word Although people don't necessarily, they, they don't typically regard it as a mistake if, if you're fully informed when you do it. And then it just uh, the, it collapses due to actions of other creatures. You know, uh, it's, it's not typically considered a mistake. It's a non-central fallacy to use that language. And so what I did is I, because Calvinists emote, they think in emotions. They don't think in logic or reason. They think in fallacies. You're dealing with Matt Slick, it's just a string of logical fallacies. But anyway, so I, I did his own fallacy back to him. I said, so you believe that God predestines everything. It's God's sovereign plan that every single uh, rape happens. It's God's sovereign plan that every single homosexual act happens. And the guy's like, oh, of course it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so then I said, well, so what you're saying is that, you know, not only is every single like bathhouse, a homosexual sex thing that's ever happened throughout all of history. Not only is that God's sovereign plan, but it's to his greatest glory. So what you are literally telling me is that God is the reigning king of faggotry. And he got all mad and pissy. And then he eventually kicked me off the page. And I was like, just answer the question. Is God the reigning king of faggotry? Because all the language, all the language adds up. And it's what he believes. He literally believes it. But he doesn't want to affirm it. Because guess what? You're using a language which has strong emotional connotations if you're using it. So although he literally believes what I was saying, he wouldn't say yes or no if he believed it. Because... Because of the implications. She would never say no because of the implication. Now, you've said that word implication a couple of times. What implication? Because of the implications. And so Jesse Morrell, he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's dealing with these emotional people. And uh, they, they don't want to say things like homosexuality is God's plan. Although they literally believe it. And there's... There's a ton of Calvin quotes. James White doesn't seem to have brushed up on his Calvin or doesn't seem to understand Calvin's position on this. No mere permission is one of Calvin's subsections. This is not mere permission that allows all these wicked things to happen. These are sovereignly, meticulously guided by God for God's greatest glory. If anything else happened other than what does happen, God would not maximize his glory. 
this is Calvinism. This is literally what Calvinists teach. And for uh, James White to either not understand this or understand this and present it as if it's not the case, he's dishonest. He's lying. He's a liar. They, that's what these people do. They are liars. And you could quote Calvin and they say, oh, you, you're misrepresenting Calvin. I'm, I'm reading Calvin. Do you agree with Calvin or not? Do you agree with traditional Calvinist theology or not? Do you agree with Bavink or do you uh, believe, or agree with Burkhoff? And these people, they, they, they don't understand their own theology and they'll always claim to be misrepresented no matter what you say. No mere permission. In Calvinism, everything that happens is meticulously planned in detail, guided by God's hand to occur. This is God's plan. That comes from a not not a failure to recognize, but an unwillingness to recognize the absolutely biblically mandated difference between God's will as expressed prescriptively in his law. God reveals this is, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's found in God's law. It's found in the moral fabric of how he has created. That's his prescriptive will. But that does not exhaust the God of the Bible. And if you say it does, you end up destroying the Bible. So another thing Calvinists do, you got to watch for it, is they think that just saying something makes that one thing true. And so like uh, in the Flowers, Matt Slick discussion, they're going back and forth. And Matt Slick just thinks that just explaining how he reads a verse means that his explanation is the true explanation. He doesn't prove that his interpretation is the correct one. And so James White's doing this right now. They don't understand the difference between his prescriptive will and his sacred will. Yet you got to prove, prove using evidence that those are actual real concepts, that these are biblical concepts. And, and in the Bible, guess what? Uh, God is a person and people have conflicting priorities. It's not two different conflicting wills. It's not, oh, oh, there's two different wills fighting within myself or anything like that. It's conflicting priorities. So God wants to save everyone. God wants everyone to engage in a love relationship with him. But guess what God also doesn't want? God doesn't want to enable sinful people who hate him to live with him forever. That's also something that God doesn't want. So conflicting priorities, you have to figure out what works? We we engage in conflicting priorities all the time. It's one of the basic fundamental concept of economics that we face trade-offs in life and God faces the same trade-offs. So to prevent, present those trade-offs as if it's like two different conflicting wills, that's not what's going on. God can't always get what he wants. God can't always get what he wants. Yeah, Trump always plays that. At a, he played that like on election night at like his, his uh, rally. You know, you can't always get what you want. And yeah, in life, we face trade-offs. We can't get the best of all things. We can't have our cake and eat it too. You end up standing on your head trying to explain how God commanded Abraham to offer Isaac. You stand on your head trying to explain the cross. You end up doing what this guy's going to do. And that is, Emilio keeps asking him, what about Acts 4? Predestined by God's purpose. Not, oh, well, God can make good come out of evil. Those are not the same thing. Those are not the same things. You try to make them the same things, you're lying. And that's what Jesse Merrill has to do because he has an overarching man-centered tradition that will not allow him to handle the text of scripture with any kind of fidelity at all. It's impossible. So if you will not see the difference between God's decree and the fact that God decrees to glorify himself in the redemption of a particular people in Christ Jesus from eternity past, and that this includes... Okay, I'm putting you on pause, James White. We're going to go read some Calvin. Yeah, you know, Calvin's good to read. I like to read Calvin. And, and this is this is where it comes down to no mere permission. This is Calvin's, Calvin's section in his institutes. From other passages, this is Calvin speaking, in which God is set to draw or bend Satan himself and all the reprobate to his will. You know, they like to use the word reprobate, the reprobate. A more difficult question arises, for the carnal mind can scarcely comprehend how, when acting by their means, he contracts no taint from their impurity, nay, how in common operation he is exempt from all guilt and can be and can justly condemn his own ministers. Hence a distinction has been invented between doing and permitting, because to many it seems altogether inexplicable how Satan and all the wicked are so under the hand and authority of God that he directs their malice to whatever end he pleases and employs their iniquities to execute his judgments. The modest 
modesty of those who are thus alarmed at the appearance of absurdity might perhaps be excused. They did not endear to vindicate the justice from God from every semblance of stigma by defending an untruth. And so in Calvin's day, just as in today, these Calvinists, they, 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 they really don't like the idea that God meticulously forces everyone to commit every single sin that ever, every, ever happens. And so they say, well, God ha just let it happen with permission. You know, God allowed our will to do that, although he guided where that will went. And it wasn't him actually doing it. And so Calvin, during his days, had those same objectors trying to defend Calvinism. And he's saying, no, you guys don't understand. That's not Calvinism. Here, here's real Calvinism. I'm the guy. I'm John Calvin. And let me explain. No mere permission. It seems absurd that man should be blinded by the will and command of God, yet be forthwith punished for his blindness. Hence, recourse is had to the evasion that this is done only by permission, and not also by the will of God. He himself, however, openly declaring that he does this, repudiates the evasion, that men do nothing save at the secret instigation of God and do not discuss and deliberate on anything but what he has previously decreed with himself and brings to pass with his secret direction is proved by numberless clear passages in the scripture. Calvin talks like this again and again and again. So Jesse Merle's question is a valid question. It's a question that John Calvin himself had to deal with that he answers differently than James White because James White is a charlatan. He doesn't understand Calvinism or or he's just being malicious. He's purposely misrepresenting Calvinism uh, just for debate, just so that Calvinism seems better than it actually is. It's not. All the purposes and realities of sin and that this does not remove from man his responsibility and culpability. Just as the king of Assyria was rightly judged for acting on the intentions of his heart in Isaiah chapter. Another thing Calvinists will do is they'll pull out examples that they think validate their theology, but which are data points for their opponent's theology as well. So in a debate, if you pull out evidence that could be used and explained by your opponents, uh, then it's not good evidence for your, your position. It's not good evidence for your belief. Uh, no open theist is going to say, oh, he was wrong to punish Assyria. No, sometimes you can use your enemies for your advantage. It happens all the time in war. Nobody, nobody denies this. God instigated Assyria to come punish Israel. And guess what? Assyria overstepped their bounds. Assyria overstepped their calling. And God gets angry that they overstepped their calling. And so although he used them as his minister, as his mechanism of justice, they went above and beyond what they were told to do. So even in the Assyrian example, uh, God's being thwarted in some way, James White, but you don't know the Bible well enough. You just know your proof texts. You just know your proof texts. Chapter 10, yet God used the king of Assyria in his sinful attention, uh, uh, intentions to punish the people of Israel in fulfillment of the very word that God had given to Israel in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, the blessings and the cursings. And so, now again, remember, when you're dealing with open theists, all this goes out the window. You don't have an orthodox doctrine of God. You have a very man-centered doctrine of God. You've got a God who's, who's just doing the best he can with what he's got. Um, but that's the only consistent direction to go. If you have a God who is sovereign over all time, then everything he's saying is just foolishness. It's ridiculous. Uh, so he just has to throw Psalm 115 out, 135 out, and well, Isaiah and all of prophecy. Well, look, once you throw out, once you're... So I love the Isaiah example. Again, there's that discussion I had with that uh, Calvinist about Isaiah, Isaiah 40. He's like, this is my proof that God is the most perfect being. We flip there and I start saying, let's go through Isaiah 40 verse by verse and we'll see how many of these verses you actually like. Oh, they don't like it. They do not like the verses in Isaiah. They, they need to dismiss them. They need to claim that Isaiah is being poetic in all the verses except for their verse. And then it's hard and fast theology that proves their negative conceptions of God being the greatest being imaginable. Uh, that, that's what those mean. But all those other verses, you got you to gotta ignore those verses. They, they, don't, they don't quite fit our theology. And if they're taken on face value, that would mean our theology is completely false. Completely false. So if Calvinists believe Isaiah 40, uh, their theology would be false. Uh, they wouldn't be Calvinists anymore. You're an open theist. There ain't much left. But there you go. But this also illustrates how errors in theology proper, open theism, are almost always related to errors in soteriology. 
because God acts consistently with his nature in the gospel. And so if you end up messing up God's nature by messing I think we're going to fast forward again because he's just he's just pratting on about nothing. And we're going to go see Jesse Morrell again in action. I, we're, we're probably like like three seconds into the Jesse Morrell video. Like like literally he spent like a ton of time talking about three seconds. But I guess that's fine. These response videos tend to get out of hand sometime. Nothing else. They can't stand on the whole of scripture. They can't do it. And so you have to twist things around. So that's you're just going to see that over and over again. Because Calvinism says everything is God's plan. Yeah. And then I said, ask him if abortion is God's plan. Because they're against abortion. Is the cross God's plan? They're against abortion, but they say it's God's plan. Is the cross God's plan? God might at times use sinful acts. That doesn't mean all... No, catch that. This is, is going to go on for a while. Yeah, so let me explain what's going on there uh, real quick. So what these Calvinists do is they throw out these questions, but they have these terms in which the terms have multiple meanings, and they want to use equivocation to try to get a gotcha. You know, this he wants a yes or no answer to this, and Jesse Morrell's not going to give him a yes or no answer. He's going to give him an implied yes with, with a mechanism of how it's possible, which makes this guy mad because this guy just wants... A yes to the question, and he wants to assume his theology onto the language that he uses in his question. The real question he wants to ask is not whether the cross was God's plan, but his real question, what he thinks in his mind when he's asking this, is, is the cross meticulously determined? Is every Roman satyrian's cough, huh, every single gadfly, every single vector of every single dust mote, is all that God's plan. This is what is in his mind when he's using the word plan. But guess what? I got plans too. I got plans to go to work tomorrow. Guess what? I got a hundred percent success rate on this program in my predictions and my plans of what I've said I've, I've planned to do. And they've always came true. So what, what, what does that mean? Huh? James White? What, is, what, is, what does that mean? But anyways, the Calvinist wants to use equivocation. He wants to use the loaded language and Jesse Morrell's seen through it. And he's answering the question, but the Calvinist, he doesn't want to take that answer. He doesn't want to discuss that concept. He doesn't, he doesn't want to actually deal with the issues. He wants little, little emotional gotchas. He, he wants a little, they, they, like, they like to think in rhetoric. They don't like to think in facts and evidence. So instead of saying, hey, I got this verse here in Acts 2 or Acts 4, and let's look at the text and see what's going on here. And what does this mean in context? And then pressing him on that, he's, he's going for his assumed theology gotcha question. Um, what was that? At times, yeah. This could go on for a while. Is it, is it understandable? Because I'm, okay, okay, I just want to make sure. Um, all through this section, Emilio's going to keep bringing him back, bringing him back, bringing him back. He's just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And he's going to... Yeah, because you guys are dishonest. You're, you're not intellectually honest. When you're dealing with Calvinists, you're not dealing with intellectually honest people. To continue to re-translate. Well, he's not translating. Um, he's going to continue to misinterpret, ignore uh, what is found um, in the text. I need to... There we go. Uh, I hope that doesn't come up on top of the screen. It probably will, knowing... Uh, there it goes. Well, well, we'll see. Um, he's going to keep... Yeah, I figured it was going to do that. I need to bring accordance up. Um, Step one, hijack a word. Take predestination and just define it Calvinistically. Step two, claim that that's the real definition. And if anyone else uh, had, says anything otherwise, step three, claim that they're not actually uh, agreed with the text. Here's what they do. They hijack language and then they're all mad. They're like, oh, you're just rejecting the Bible. No, no, we're rejecting your assumed translations. We're rejecting your assumed word definitions, which are not evident in the text. The text is not about predestination and every single action being predestined from time eternal. Those are tangential ideas to the text. And uh, if they're even present in the text at that, you don't have a go-to text. And so you have to try to prove text from these these places where it's actually not even about that. And we, we have our podcast on predestination, the word use in the ancient world. It does not mean what you claim it means. You're, you don't have any evidence that it does mean what you claim it means. God 
for picking every event from time eternity, nothing like that. Typically, it's just like to define something or to specify something, just generically, loosely define stuff. Like the Jews specified the blood relation uh, in in reference to uh, Jesus's question. When Jesus asked you questions, uh, they answered, they pro arisoed, they predestined uh, their answer, which was blood relation. It's, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It just doesn't, you can't assume your theology into the text. Try getting your theology out of the text. The, the, the context has to be explicit. The context has to be clear. And yes, there were ancient church fathers who believed in a total foreknowledge of all future events. There were church fathers. There were even uh, scenes, you know, Dead Sea Scrolls, in which they believed in absolute predestination, uh, good and evil spirits being implanted into us and and we're kind of our, our, our actions are kind of faded in that sense there's they, they believed that and we could get that out of the context of some of their quotes but you just don't find the same context like that in the bible for your proof text you're assuming it onto those texts there we go uh misrepresenting what acts 4 says and that's who else do we hear doing that did we not hear Leighton flowers doing that yeah, again, these these people, they assume their reading into the text and they assume there's no other reading. That's just not how language works. These people fundamentally do not understand language. As a simple phrase, a simple sentence could have multiple or even infinite different interpretations depending on context, depending on emphasis of words, depending on hyperbole, generalization, just, just different ways language works and functions. But they assume their one reading is the correct reading. These people reject language theory. They reject natural reading comprehension skills. You're dealing with cultists. When someone sits down and says, this is the only one way to take this one phrase without examining context to give meaning to that phrase, yeah, you're dealing with a cultist. Now, Leighton Flowers is not Jesse Morrell. But if Leighton Flowers keeps going the way he's going, he'll end up being Jesse Morrell. So th this is a low stability argument. Calvinists tend to be very low stability. They're like, oh, if God could change, then, then I can't know that for certain. I will be eternally saved in the future. That's a terrible idea. I can't believe something that might make me very sad. I can't believe something that make me a little bit fearful. Uh, <laughs> whatever belief makes you feel most secure must be the true belief. These are low stability people. And so his, his claim here is if Leighton Flowers was being logical or rational, he might actually become an open theist. Oh, oh no. Yeah, when I was getting kicked out of uh, a church this once, they're, they're like, open theism leads to atheism. I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> my, my beliefs might, might lead me somewhere that I think is more rational and I might take what I believe is more rational when that time comes. The shock and horror, that is so terrible. It's like, since when does the, the end results of our belief determine whether beliefs are true or false? They don't. It's emoting. It's a low stability emoting. Uh, the, this is a low stability man, James White. We hope and pray that he won't go there, that he'll be restrained from going there, because this is blatant heresy. But <laughs> everything's that's, heresy. That's the only direction he has to go. Heresy for you. Heresy and for doing you. The exact same thing. Everyone's a heretic. Is instead of seeing in Genesis fifty the grammatical necessity well, of, the, yeah, of the parallel, we're getting there. Chapter four, we're, it doesn't we're like say that God permitted thirty seconds away. It thirty says seconds away he from another clip. This to happen and involve the free will actions of many, 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 many people. And many, many, many people. Just emphatically, just pretending a word means your definition does not make it so. Uh, so let's do a word study on predestination as used in the ancient world. I'll just pull up the quote that I was talking about. It's a really good illustration. I got every single index location of this word, and guess what? It doesn't mean what it, you think it means. Here's Clement. Clement was a Christian writer, right? And so Clement says, the second in order and not any less than this, he says is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Consequently, God above thyself. And on his interloker inquiring, who is my neighbor? 
He did not say in the same way with the Jews, specify the blood relation or the fellow citizen or the proselyte or him that has any similarly circumcised or a man who uses one in the same law. And so this is talking about Jesus and uh, Jesus did not answer the same question in the same way. So Jesus did not predestine the same answer that was predestined by the Jews. It's just about answering questions. The word is just used for just specifying something or saying something. And, and the, the prof, prefix is, is optional. It, it doesn't have to be used. Uh, you know, sometimes in English, that this is how these words work. Anyways, back to the show. In fact, it was the free will actions of people for generations. Hence, it would have been hundreds of thousands, millions of free will acts. God determined to bring about the cross at the time and the place in the way that he chose to do so. I don't believe in Oh, oh, really? Because uh, you didn't show any of those things. You don't have evidence for any of those things. Actually, the quote that you're referring to in Acts 2 or Acts 4 doesn't say any of those things as well. That's just your assumption you're loading onto the text. And here's what they do. They just assume, they pretend that their proof texts mean their ideas, their theology. Absolutely doesn't. This is... This is, uh, again, uh, Calvinism is a cult. They don't care about the text. They just assume their readings into the text without any textual basis for it. And they ignore common sense, natural, alternative readings. An open theist can handle that, personally. Um, at least not consistently. But there you go. Uh, that's the situation that we need to see. So I deal with these Calvinists. It's like the cross is not pre predestined. The cross, you don't, you don't hear anything in the Old Testament about a cross. And they'll say, oh, King David talked about a tree. Really? You turn to that passage? Does that have anything to do with crosses? First of all, it has nothing to do with crosses. Uh, second of all, there's nothing in there that indicates that it's some sort of predictive prophecy of what must happen. It's just not there. You guys got nothing. In fact, uh, the, a common thing that happened within New Testament times was taking prior words and arrangements of words and concepts and using them as uh, affirmation of what currently happened. It's not like the one thing predicted the other, but similar circumstances uh, revealed the truth of the current circumstances. The, the world works cyclically. Cycles repeat themselves. God works in similar ways throughout time. That's their idea, not the predictive prophecies of the future. You're, you're going to find nothing about the cross. In fact, you're going to find Jesus praying that uh, he foregoes the cross. How does that work in your theology? What kind of prayer is going on there? Why is he prayed to thwart God's will? Why is Jesus doing that? Your theology makes no sense. It's not common sense. The open theist is the only person with a common sense answer to these questions. You know what? It's the normal reading comprehension answer to these questions. You don't just load up every single verse you read with metaphysics. And they don't. They, they don't load up every single verse with metaphysics. Any verse they don't like, they just dismiss altogether. They just throw it in the trash, don't like it. Oh, it must be an uh, anthropomorphism. That's, that's, a, that's an idiom that doesn't exist, right? So uh, we'll use that word and that idiom. And that means whatever the verse says, uh, we could just ignore that. Sinful acts are God's plan. That's the fallacy of Calvinism. Saying that all sin is God's plan. God could use sinful acts at times. I just did. If you were listening, yeah. Yeah, he did answer it multiple times. And what what this guy's wanting is this yes or no answer. He doesn't want to actually deal with mechanism, and the mechanism's not specified in any of his proof texts. And so he's getting triggered over there. Crucifixion of Christ. Is it part of God, God could use that into his plan. The, the betrayal of... Again, just so that we're clear, the Calvinist wants to assume the mechanism. And he thinks just stating his question in the way he does, that his mechanism is inherent in that question. So that's why he wants the yes or no answer. Uh, he's, he's not an honest individual. He's not, he doesn't have any intellectual integrity. We're not dealing with good people here. Joseph into, the, into slavery to Egypt. God can incorporate that into his plan. Yeah, but just because God incorporates it into his plan For the record, does not mean all sin is God's plan. You guys need to leave here because, you know, I've been preaching here for You preach years. a false gospel. No, no, wait, what are you, what are you laughing about? When I, when I see you cracking up... Uh, I, I love it. I love it. On the rich These camp. are just isolated incidents, James. Right, no, I know. They're just, they're just isolated incidents. Uh. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's isolated... Yeah, I know. It was, it's, it's sad to see someone just spin in the wind uh, with this kind of stuff. But it's not the last time he's going to do that kind of stuff, believe you me.
I have unlimited atonement. Which the Bible says, eleven years. I've been preaching for longer than that. I've been here since 2005. Really? Since 2005. Right. I love it. They're in a pissing contest, and Jesse Burrell is going to beat this guy hands down in a pissing contest. If that's what you want to do, if that's the game you want to play, Mr. Calvinist, uh, you're you're owed, you're schooled. But uh, you know, it. None of it. This is really substantive. I, I don't. They, neither of them have addressed substantive issues, and and it is it is rhetoric that we're talking about right now, right here in in all their back and forth dialogue. It is rhetoric. Like when I was on staff for Ray Humphrey with the Ray News Network, like me for 11 years, I've been coming here annually for since 2005. Yeah, right. So I would tell you, listen, take your false gospel. You don't want everyone to be saved, so you're not loving. I want everyone to be saved because I'm not. I don't want a Calvinist. I don't want anything. I don't. Are you more loving than God? Do you want everyone to be saved? No, sir. I don't want anything that God does. Right. So you're not loving. You don't love these people. I do. You don't want them all to repent. You don't. Now here's here's the next one. If if you recognize that God is righteous in the exercise of grace, that God has freedom. Again, so James White thinks that just saying something makes that thing true. Uh, this is this is where the Will Duffy-Matt Slick debate, their second one was on the question, is the God of Calvinism loving? And he, poor, poor Will Duffy, he didn't, he didn't stick to the debate topic. He, he thought it was a debate about the Bible and the meaning of different passages. He should have just said, yeah, if that's the way you read that section, that verse, then I've won the debate. What you described is not loving, despite your explanation of what that verse means. Uh, James White is trying to mentally justify his unloving picture of God. That is legit. A normal person could look at it and understand that it's unloving and that it's uh, abhorrent. Abhorrent. That doesn't verify whether it's true or false or anything like that. But his, what he teaches is abhorrent to normal, rational, functioning people. And he's he's going through mental gymnastics to try to justify it to himself, saying, oh, because the Bible teaches us, it doesn't teach that. Because the Bible teaches it, then it's not abhorrent. Ah, ah, these people, these people. The God has freedom to love, then you are not loving. And so if now no reformed person, at least no reformed person with any balance or anything else, no reformed person claims to know the identity of the elect. And so you preach the gospel to all men and you pray fervently for all men. So basically what's going on here, if you guys have not caught on, he's saying, yes, technically what Jesse Morell says is true. But listen to this, you know, this, when I was dealing with the Calvinists about Servetus, I had my 10 points about Servetus and he basically his counter arguments like, yes, that is true. But listen to this other thing. It's like you're, you're sitting there, you're spinning, you're trying to justify. Why can't you just say, yeah, that, that is true in, in one sense. And, uh, but, uh, you know, try to explain it from your other perspective or advantage. Who eats this stuff up? Who believes this stuff? Who who endorses their justifications? And it's not a rational justification. To repent and to come to Christ. He says that makes you more loving than God. But here's the thing here also. Let's, let's talk about if someone's more loving than God. God takes criticism throughout the Bible. People criticize God. People tell God how to be more loving. So it's not like God just totally rejects mankind and mankind's thought about what is loving and what's not. He cares very much. He responds to it. Uh, King of Bimelech says that, you know, it'd be wrong for you to kill me because uh, this this man said that this lady was his sister and not his wife. And so then I was going to take this woman to be my wife. And how is that my fault? Why am I to blame for that? And God's like, yeah, that, that's true. And he's like, for this reason, I've withheld your hand. But that doesn't mean that God wouldn't have killed him if he went forward with his plans. Uh, the king Abimelech, once he knew what he did wrong, he repented and he changed. And he he criticized uh, God's handling of the situation that God was going to kill him because he did it in the uprightness of his own heart. Throughout the Bible, we see people criticizing God, criticizing God for shirking duties. You find the debate between, between Abraham and God about how many righteous people can be collateral damage in the destruction of Sam Gaborah. It's not a black and white issue with with a definitive answer. Uh, it's it's a rotating scale. And guess what? Abraham holds God to a higher standard of righteousness, as as confirmed by biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann. You know, this is the scholarly position. We're dealing with non-scholar James White, and we're dealing with scholars like Walter Brueggemann. These are the people. Walter Brueggemann also wrote the, the message of the Psalms. We have a whole podcast dedicated to Walter Brueggemann's book on the Psalms. 
just just great great work on going through these psalms and talking about how they're how they talk and how they act and how they think about God and when we interact with God we have some of the cards on the table it's not like God has all the cards and we have none there's bargaining that happens throughout the psalms and so to pretend to pretend that mankind is nothing our thoughts about justice morality are nothing it's not a biblical concept it's not in the bible we're dealing with fanatics here. We're dealing with Calvinists. They think uh, in terms of Platonistic categories, Platonistic metaphysics, and as such, they depart from the world of biblical theology. They, they get lost in their metaphysical systems where God has to be completely separate from the world, and, and mankind can't give anything to God, that God is in need of nothing. He can't, he can't take our praises, and if, if he could take our praises, then he would be better in some sort of way because now he's receiving from outside himself. These categories are not biblical categories. And get again, that's why I'm laughing when Jesse Morell is saying you're teaching a false gospel. Literally, literally, these people are not Christians. They're Platonists. Uh, I, I don't think we should treat them like uh, Christians. They certainly don't treat others like Christians. And I, I don't usually bring it up in debate, like the first thing. But when, when it gets out of hand, there's like, blah, 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 blah. And, and they, they make a big deal and say, oh, I don't think you're saved. I don't think you're saved. I don't think you're a Christian. I don't. I don't. And so Jesse Merrill, he's on the same page. Notice what that requires. If you're going to say that makes you more loving than God, then what you're doing is you are reducing God to the level of a human being. Also, you're welcome for me playing James White on uh, like a 1.25 speed. You're welcome because this, if it was just like a normal speed, this would be tedious. Hella tedious. And making comparisons between us based upon your ignorance and based upon your demotion of God from being God and accomplishing his purposes because you don't believe he has a overarching purpose he can accomplish anyways. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's definitely a claim that Jesse Merle ever made. These people are lunatics. I was dealing with the Calvinist, the same type of Calvinist as James White, dealing with him in a di Discord channel. And he's like, well, God can't say that uh, anyone's eternally saved if God could change, if the future's not set. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, that, that seems psychotic. I mean, I could do things. It's not like I'm particularly powerful, but I could make things come about and do things. So I, I asked him, I said, What's the minimum amount of power is necessary for God to make claims that he could eternally save someone? And and he's like, I don't understand the question. I'm like, what's the minimum amount of power? I mean, I mean, do, do, is it anything less than absolute control of all things? And he said, no, this is how psychotic these people are. If God doesn't control all things to every last particle that exists in the universe, God can't make claims about how he saves people or who he saves and and what he could do and what he could accomplish we're dealing with literal legit lunatics these people are mentally unstable well you're that if you if you do it's a very vague general thing and not a specific thing so the the idea is and it and it's a it's a very vacuous argument that i am that you i'm i'm more loving than your god um well you can't save anybody you don't have the power to save anybody your God does not have the power to save anybody. Just mention that in passing. See, a lunatic. We're dealing with lunatics. Absolute lunatics. If God doesn't control all things to the last dust moat, he can't save anyone. You're a lunatic. You're a lunatic, James White. Passing. Um, and so we're, we're, we're comparing apples and oranges here. We're talking about a sovereign God who has the right to be free. You're talking about Platonism. We're talking about biblical theism. We're talking about Yahweh of the Bible. That's who we care about. What stands supreme in people, Jesse Morell, he's, he's a very biblically orientated open theist. So he cares a lot about what the Bible says. Yeah, sometimes he gets into his systematizing. He cares a lot about atonement theory and things like that. But for the most part, he's incredibly biblically based. He, he cares about the Bible. He focuses on the Bible. He preaches from the Bible to know who God truly is, even in the face of, uh, you know, our, our other friends who are her followers of uh, Winky Prattney and and Gordon Olson and uh, that that whole that whole realm Harry, Harry Khan I guess that's a, that's one of the names uh, that whole realm of open theists who are very systematic based who who will undermine the text of the Bible when it's convenient to their systematics Jesse Morell bucks against that I've seen him do it time to time again but. 
But no, I guess uh, James White's got his god of the Platonism, god of the one, the one of Plato, the, the pure immutability, simplicity, outside space and time that can't be affected from outside himself and has ungenerated innate knowledge. And oh man, it is, it is thick. It's like on the day of judgment, you're standing before Yahweh, the living God, and you say, these are the things I believed. Is he going to look at these Calvinists and say, uh, yeah, go on in. You're one of my guys. Uh, it's, it's may, maybe, maybe, but I would, if I, I were to guess, <laughs> I would say, no, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think you're a Christian, James White. In the expression of his mercy and his grace. If you can't find that in scripture, if you can't, if you can't read the Old Testament and go, hmm, Israel, Egypt, hmm, dealing with these in different ways. From his perspective, he must have dealt with them all the same way, right? Because he's equally loving to all. No, that's it. Does that what Jesse Morrell claimed? Did Jesse Morrell claim that he treats everyone the exact same and deals with them in the exact same ways? Not a claim. You're hallucinating. And so this happens all the time since the Calvinists, uh, they hallucinate what the other side is saying because they legitimately cannot understand. They can't put themselves in the shoes of the other person. Scott Adams has a great quote on this. Let's pull that up. When people do not have rational reasons for their views and you help them achieve that realization, they typically and immediately hallucinate that your argument is some kind of absurd absolute instead of whatever reasonable thing that you actually said. That instant hallucination provides the critics something with which they can easily disagree. Great, great quote, great quote. James White is hallucinating. It's it's a part of his cognitive dissonance where he he's... He just doesn't know how to mentally handle and deal with the actual arguments that Jesse Merle's making. So he has to hallucinate Jesse Merle saying things that he never did. You've got to build up that straw man, Mr. James White. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. But, hey, you know, that's what heresy does to you. Them all to be saved. You won't ask the question. So the cross is not part of God's plan. Is that right? No, I said God can incorporate some sins. I didn't ask you what he could do. God can incorporate all some sins, but that doesn't mean all sin. Let me ask you this. When they sacrifice their babies, I've answered it multiple times. Is part of God's plan or not? Yes or no? When they were sacrificing their babies. He did. He, he answered it tons of times, but the guy wasn't listening. The guy didn't care for the answer. He didn't want to have to deal with the answer. And so he wanted him to answer in a different way so he could take the conversation in a different direction. And so Jesse Morrell knew what he's doing, and uh, he sabotaged this guy's oh-so-clever plan to entrap and, and uh, you know, the non-central fallacy. These Calvinist emoting. Israel. No, Calvinism is heresy. I've exposed Calvinism time and time again. Jesse, you can use a million different examples, but if you listen to the central issue. I'm here because I love these people. I'm not here to debate with you hateful Calvinists. Right, right. You yeah. radical Calvinists. You don't want everyone to be saved. I do. Yeah, you're literally dealing with cultists. You're you're wasting your time interacting with these people. They're they're not honest. They're they're they don't have intellectual integrity. They misrepresent. They purposely don't understand. It it's just sometimes it's a waste of time. And so what Jesse Morel doing here is yeah, he's shutting down the conversation, and that's his prerogative. That's fine for him to do. I want, so I don't care if I you call my gospel. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, we're actually the ones that believe that if God wanted to save everybody, he could. It's not his choice to do so. He chooses likewise to judge. I, I don't think an open theist would disagree with that, you lunatic. Justly bring judgment. You don't, your God can't even do that. That's beyond. You're false. You're a liar. You're, you're, you're misrepresenting. I mean, a God could, God's going to say it. Like, I'm going to just fill heaven up with all sorts of like the Hillary Clintons of the world. And then I'd be like, I don't know if I want to go to heaven anymore if you're just filling up with all these Hillary Clintons of the world. He could do that. What, what is salvation? What is salvation but entrance into the kingdom of God? Yeah, he could let everyone in. What would stop him? Here's here's what stops him. Practicality. You don't want to put the Hillary Clintons in heaven. You don't, you don't want to live eternally with Hillary Clinton. It's not a thing that Bill Clinton wants to do. Nobody wants to do that. Like most of America don't, don't want to. They might have voted for him. There's a pretty good South Park episode where like, uh, they're talking about transgenderism and there's this like Kyle Jenner who transitioned to this Caitlyn Jenner. And uh, one of the boys like d does this thing where he he gives this impassioned speech in, in favor of uh, converting genders or whatever. And they're like, you have won a car trip with Caitlyn Jenner. And it's like, oh, that's not what I I just want to say that I agree with transgender. I don't want to deal with these gross people. It's like I don't want to actually have to interact and it's like all disgusting and i don't know it, it's a good point it's a good point but 
Uh, South Park subtitle. I showed my kids the South Park uh, Mormonism episode. That's great. So if you want to give your kids a basic introduction to Mormonism, the South Park episode on Mormonism is your thing. Um, and you deal with any of the bad language. That's fine. It just just say, kids, this is a one-time exception for sometimes bad language so that we can learn about Mormonism. Just do it. Just watch it by yourself first. Yeah, you'll love me. Beyond his capacity and power. And for anybody to stand there, uh, you know, blasting everybody as heretics, when he doesn't even believe that... <laughs> oh, 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 okay, James White. James White's like, oh, you're a heretic, blah, blah, blah. This Calvinist in the video, you're a heretic, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, now Jesse Morrell called us heretics. Oh, oh, I'm so his God knew when he created that they would be standing there on that sidewalk doing this because there's no way God could have known that. Is this like a rational argument? Is this like, is, are, are you making a coherent point? What, what are you arguing? What, what is your argument exactly, James White? An argument has to have some sort of premise and some sort of uh, way that that connects to some sort of truth. What's going on here? I think you're just emoting. You're just talking out of your face, just whatever comes to your head, without any coherent points. He's going to say later on in regards to open theism, God knows everything that is knowable. That's the standard open theist thing. Um, he, he knows all truth, but not... Uh, he might say that. Uh, I, guess, I guess he would, uh, seeing some of Jesse Morrell's open theist videos, but not all open theists believe that. It's this broad brush painting that these... Critics of open theism like to do. Literally, the only point of doctrine that open theists really agree on is that the future isn't exhaustively set. There's there's real contingencies in the future. That it's pretty much the only point of doctrine that there's there's solid agreement on among open theists. It, it's 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 not like it's not like an all-encompassing thing like Calvinism. Calvinism is a systematic, whereas open theism is a doctrinal point, which can be mixed and matched and interchanged with all sorts of other doctrinal points. And so you find all, all sorts of open theists getting mad at other open theists over what they think is crucial to open theism. I don't know. It's So painting with a broad brush, anything open theism, a huge mistake. So don't pretend that if Mr. Calvinist, if Mr. Calvinist is listening, I don't know why Calvinists would listen to me. They don't like me. But if they're listening, Mr. Calvinist, don't pretend that whatever open theist you're dealing with is re representative of any open theists other than themselves since, since free will choices are are don't exist and they cannot be known that's the that's the open theist thing that means when god created he did not know that jesse morrell would even exist because jesse morrell is the result of many free choices of free creatures he didn't oh no that that makes me feel so bad inside therefore it must not be true what kind of low stability emoting is this you know any of us would this he did not know this was going to happen um <laughs> you're standing there Talking you don't have a point. Blasting at us for having an orthodox biblical perspective because it's so painful. You don't have a point. You just emoted. You had no point. Painfully obvious that none of the prophets believed in open theism or anything like this. I mean, it's just. You're a lunatic. They all did. Every single one of them did. God says to Jonah, says, go preach to Nineveh. He's like, I'm going to just run away, cheese it, and then maybe, maybe God's not going to catch me. Maybe he's not going to force me to go back. I'm going to just run away from God, you know. That, that's our normal response. So God says to Ezekiel, says, hey, how about you cook all your food with human poop? And he says, I'd rather not. How about not? And then God says, okay, cow poop is fine. Like instantaneous change. That none of them, absolutely none of them, Moses is dealing with God, interacting with God, having a conversation with God. And it's not, oh God, you know the entire future. So whatever you want to do is probably the best results to your greatest glory because I'm a Calvinist. No, he argues impassioned towards God. Reasons, a cascading lists of reasons why God should not destroy his people. And then God listens to him. And then the biblical commenters comment on this, saying exactly what the text says, that God changed for his name's sake. It's not a positional change in the people. God changed for his name's sake. And that was one of Moses' arguments. So the psalm reads that Moses, God would have destroyed Israel if not Moses, the chosen one, stood in the gap and changed God's mind. Every, every single prophet was an open theist. You're a lunatic if you're reading something else. You do not know how to read. You just assume your theology into the text. And you have to engage in massive cognitive dissonance where you you just 
it's like the text is very clear. A normal reader using normal reading comprehension skills would understand what's going on, that these people are open theists. They think the future is mutable. They don't think that God knows the entire future. It's it's not a concept. It's not part of the storyline. It's not embedded in the mindset of the people interacting and praying with God. But no, you know, you throw all that out. You throw all of that out because you grab one phrase from one verse and think it means your theology. All else is sidetracked. All else is thrown in the trash. Yeah, they're lunatics. We're, we're going to have to quit there because we've we're already gone about an hour of this. And I, doing more than an hour of James White at a time, it's tedious. And welcome again. Uh, I'll say you're welcome for you thanking me at playing him at 1.25 speed because ugh, he's bad to listen to. It, 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 it's hard. Every time I turn him on, he's arrogant, condescending. He talks with, like, I want to make a point, but haven't figured out the point I'm making yet in the middle of my sentence. Yeah. So yeah, go watch Jesse Morell's videos, his street preaching videos. He's got a really good sense of humor. God likes someone with a good sense of humor. Like Ezekiel, he's he's uh, fighting the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Baal can't get Baal to send fire from heaven. And he's like, oh, well, what's going on? Is, is your God in the bathroom over there? So they, they like to be provo- provocative. Jesus liked to be provocative. He said, uh, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And then everyone's like, what the heck is this guy talking about? And Jesus is like, I just going to just leave it there. Like Andy Kaufman style, just I'm going to exit the room and just let them all fume about this. And so God's got a good sense of humor. God likes people with good senses of humor. And uh, Calvinists do not have a sense of humor, these, these fanatics. But anyways, Jesse Morell has a good sense of humor too. He's uh, one of his uh, his preaching, street preaching. He says, I th- I believe in women education. And the crowd's like, hey, he's like, I bought my wife a cookbook. And then the whole crowd erupts. Of course, he's being provocative. and uh, But he's just these, these overly sensitive baby college students who you like offended at the slightest thing. They're they're the Calvinists. They're the Calvinists. My meme review triggered the pants off of Calvinists. Oh, I love it. These people are low, low mental stability. You see that in their arguments. They argue, if God does not control all things, God can't do anything. He can't say anything about the future if he doesn't control everything. You're you're a fanatic. Uh, that's not the way the real world works. That's not the way we normally think and operate and behave. And normal people like me can regularly accomplish my will, although not being very powerful. And you're a fanatic, nonsensical, rambling lunatic to think that God can't accomplish things unless he has complete, total power over all things, controlling the most minute dust you guys are lunatics. We're dealing with lunatics. When you're dealing with Calvinists, you're dealing with cultists. Anyways, questions, comments, uh, uh, verbal abuse. I'll take some verbal abuse. Want to post verbal abuse in the comments? That's good too. And it, all of that's great. Uh, post a thread and God is open. Thank you for listening.